Hey, church, welcome back to part three of this series, Habits. You'll notice that I've got my reframe shirt on. Uh, registration, thank you, both of you. Registration closes tonight on reframe. And uh, what I'd like to do is just like, this isn't a big like push at the end to say like, hey, you know, last minute to, to sign up and all that. I'm just absolutely blown away by the reception that we've gotten in around 100 people uh, within the 23 to 29 age range uh, that has signed up for this thing. I can't wait to be a part of it. It's just absolutely incredible. So thank you as a church. It's just, it's really exciting whether you're involved in this thing directly or you, you simply are a part of the church that is, uh, that is kicking it off. It's just an awesome thing to be a part of. And I love that about Encounter Church. Okay, today we're going to talk about uh, the, the habit and cultivating these habits, like little change, big impact, and cultivating the habit of patience, of enduring Patience, And I brought a little visual uh, illustration to help with this thing. Some of you know what this is. If, if you were born before a certain year, then you'll know. It's a, it's a crock pot. And, and people have been trying to get me to use one of these things for years. And many of you have been trying to get me to use one of these things for years. And I appreciate your attempts. I really do. Because you come at it from all the right ways. You're like, hey, Derek, these things are so easy to use. You just put your ingredients in there, plug it in, and wait. That's all you have to do. And I'm like, it, it, it sounds very, very easy. You've been taking the angle of like the, the, the quality of the food. It's so delicious, like fall off the bone, tender, juicy goodness. I mean, that's a good tack to take as well. Some of you have really spoken to my heart and you've said, Dirk, Dirk, there is no meal prep that you could do that's as cheap as a crockpot meal. I get, thank you so much. Like that is my love language, uh, thrift. I feel so seen, okay? But the problem with this particular device is that you have to know that you're gonna be hungry around 5.30, 6 p.m. when you're not yet hungry. And that's the issue because you have to like start preparing for a meal, for dinner at like breakfast or lunchtime. And, and how will I know that I'm gonna be hungry at 5.36 p.m.? It doesn't matter if it's happened every day for 35 consecutive years, this could be the time that I'm just not, that it just doesn't happen. And I have no way of knowing. Do I have a crystal ball to look in? Do I know the future? I don't know if I'm gonna be hungry then. I can't possibly prepare this long, this far out in advance. And so I have a, a meal that I make that's not a crock pot meal. I go into the freezer and I, and I pull out the chicken nuggets. That's not the impatient part, by the way. <laughs> we call them dino nuggets because they're a little shape of not actually dinosaur meat. Don't worry. Um, I pull it out and on the back of the bag, right, there's two different options. This is the impatient part. Two different options of preparing those dino nuggets. Number one is to preheat the oven at 350 degrees for 20 minutes, flip, wait five more minutes, wait for it to cool off before serving. A half an hour for dino nuggets, no way. Option number two is microwave them for like a minute and a half. And you've done it too. You tried to microwave those dino nuggets and they turn out like simultaneously microwave burned, which is all rubbery and everything. At the same time, somehow, they're also still frozen on the inside. And it's, they taste terrible at the time. But yeah, yeah, when I have the option between choosing like mediocrity now 
or deliciousness later, my impatience chooses mediocrity every single time because I get it right now. And you understand all of this too. We are an impatient people. We as a people have created fast food. And then if that wasn't fast enough, we created the drive-through and then the double drive-through and then Uber Eats to like anticipate that I'm going to be hungry and like deliver it to me. Max Lucado, he's, he's writing about this and he goes, only, only in America would you ever name a mountain Rushmore. <laughs> a mountain wasn't actually named for, there's a different story altogether, but like the point, the point remains is that we are an impatient people. We don't like to wait for things. We don't like to, to just, the, the slow cooking. And when it comes to our faith life, as we're going to find out, this device is incredibly painful, long, tedious process. Brian Loritz is uh, speaking to, uh, I think it was Biola University, and he, he introduces this image, this picture. And he, says, uh, and he says, take a tour with me, if you would, through God's kitchen. And he goes, unlike Dirk's kitchen, he didn't say that, but unlike Dirk's kitchen, there's no microwave in God's kitchen because he says God is not interested in turning out a subpar quality product. No, no, in God's kitchen, there are only crock pots because in God's kitchen, the heat is turned up. In God's kitchen, he places us to cultivate within us and to teach us this succulent, fall-off-the-bone, juicy kind of faith. And a kind of faith like that takes time. And so enter into God's kitchen. Trust the chef. And we're going to see how we let the heat do its work. If you'd like to follow along, we're going to go to the book of James, James chapter 5. There's Bibles underneath the chairs in front of you. The words are going to be on the phone screen behind me. We're phone friendly too, so you can follow along on the Bible app. Um, we're going to go to James. It's appropriate because James is, is writing to a group of believers. And first of all, I want to say James is the brother, maybe some people say the half-brother of Jesus Christ himself. And it's interesting to me that James didn't follow along Jesus on his earthly ministry for those three years. James wasn't one of those original 12 disciples. When, when, when Jesus was doing his thing, turning water to wine and, and feeding of the 5,000 and sight to the blind and hearing to the deaf, James wasn't totally on board, I think because he grew up with them. And I think there was something to it that's like, listen, when you... I have two older brothers, and for what would they need to do to be able to convince me that one of them is the incarnate Son of God? Water to wine would not top the list, right? James wasn't a part of that list. That's not enough. But after the fact, after Jesus calls his shot, after Jesus says, listen, I'm going to be crucified by professional executioners, the Romans, and they're going to put me in the ground, they're going to bury me for three days, and then I'm going to come back to life. That testimony, calling it ahead, and then when Jesus stood face to face with his little brother, that was enough for James to say, okay. And for me personally, I think that's a huge argument for the bodily resurrection of Jesus, that he could convince his younger brother that he was the son of God. James, though, James takes up the ministry of the church in Jerusalem. 
And James is writing to this particular group of people, this kind of like quasi-Jewish Christian middle ground. It's still emerging out. It's very, very early on in the Jesus movement, and they don't even know what to call it yet. And James is writing to these people who have just experienced trauma. Okay, Acts chapter 7, the story, the acts of those first believers. That's where it comes from. Acts chapter 7 is the stoning of Stephen where they take the very first Christian martyr and they, like, and they hurl rocks at him until he, until he dies. And then Acts chapter 8 says that from that point, a great persecution broke out. And it was like it wasn't safe to be a follower of Jesus in Jerusalem anymore. And so it says they scattered. They spread out. They kind of just, they had to choose between their lives or livelihood and their faith. And they, and they chose based on the testimony of people like James and the testimony of people who have seen Jesus post-resurrection, post-death. They chose faith. And then they spread out to all these other places to like reboot their lives, to start over completely. And James now, in James chapter five, he's writing to some of these people. And he's saying to these Jewish Christians scattered, wherever you are, having to reboot, restart, redo your entire lives because of your faith. In James chapter five, I've got a word for you. And he knows what this is because he's in the middle of it and his word for you in James five, verse seven is this. Be patient. I didn't think we were going to get an amen for that. <laughs> be, be patient? I'm sorry, James, you want me to be patient? I want to offer up to you, whatever season you're in, whatever, whatever kind of God's kitchen you find yourself in, James got it. He understood it. He's lived there as well. In his wisdom to you and to me and everybody else listening in is this, be patient. I want to teach the word to you because I think it's going to be helpful to us. It's a Greek word that he uses because it's not just the kind of patience that we, that we sort of think of all the time that you might tell your kids, hey, just settle down and be patient. For, for James, the patience is a longer one. Uh, for James, the patience is a mashup of two Greek words, the language that he wrote in, for James, the word patience translates, or the, reading it is these two words, macrothumia. Could we say that together? Macrothumia. It's two words, macro, which means like big, large, or in this case, long, drawn out. And thumia, think like heat, think thermometer. The, the picture that I kind of get of putting this together is like, is like somebody, James, the stovetop, he turns the, the heat up on high and he takes a big pot of water and the heat, the flame is so hot. It's like, it's like hand on it for more than a second and you got to go to the hospital, burn center kind of hot. And he takes this big pot of water and puts it right square on top of it. But because it's such a big pot of water, even though the heat is intense, that hasn't diminished, you can put your hand in the water and you could just, you could just sit it there and, and it'll just, it'll hang out and you can Put your hand in the water on the heat and it'll stay at a comfortable temperature for a long time. That is macrothumia. That's when he's talking about patience, like the, the image, this picture that you get is somebody. I'm just imagining a parent of a teenager and the teenager is just tired of the rules, is tired of the restrictions, is tired of, of just dominating over top and, and supervising and authoritarianism. And, and the teenager is just like letting mom or dad, just letting parents have it. Just, just thing after thing is hurting 
him as much as he possibly could in the dead, exhibiting macrothumia stands and simply takes it. It's not a short fuse, it's the opposite. It's long, drawn out, patient endurance is what we're talking about this morning. And we want patient endurance. We, we, we want to hang on to that because you will be in the soil where it's needed. But we don't want to pray for it. This theologian, uh, D.A. Carson, who writes a lot, um, wrote about this in particular. He teaches at uh, Trinity uh, Divinity School just outside of Chicago. In his book, Scandalous, he writes about this kind of patient endurance. And he says, we don't pray for patience because if you've been a Jesus follower for a little while now, you know something. When you pray for patience, simultaneously you're praying. Just underneath that, you're praying for an opportunity for you to learn patience. When you pray, when you ask God to create inside of you this patient, endurance kind of faith, what you're actually doing is you're asking God to put you in a place that's deeply uncomfortable because that's where patience is learned. Patience, by the way, is not learned today. You will not learn patience in the next 10 minutes. I'm sorry to disappoint you. Patience is not learned on a padded chair in the air-conditioned comfort of an auditorium. Patience is not learned when things are comfortable and when things are going well. Prosperity, D.A. Carson says, is a terrible teacher. Patience is, is learned in the arena in the soil of hardship, patience is learned in God's kitchen where we're asked, do you trust the chef? Are you going to let the heat do its work? And James wants us to know that there are these three soils that God is growing patience inside of us. And they're gonna happen in consecutive uh, verses. And so if you'd like to, you can pull out a pen if you have your own Bible or highlight it on your phone or something. And, and because a, a dull pencil beats a sharp mind any day in remembering what God tells you. Verse seven, let's kick it off. We're gonna read more than two words at a time, I promise. Verse seven starts off this way and, and James says, hey, be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. And he brings in an image. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. He brings up the picture of a farmer. Many of you know, if you've been attending for a little while, I know nothing at all about farming. And I'm not going to presume, I'm not going to begin to start to instruct you guys about farming. Many of you who know far more than I ever will be. In fact, what I know about first century farming in James's time comes to me by way of Wikipedia. And let's just get that out there in front. But I don't have to know. You don't have to know a lot about farming. What you just simply have to know is the farmer back then and even still today, farmers are remarkably dependent on the circumstances around them. That their outcome, they work hard, but their outcome is often to a large extent dependent 
on the circumstances happening around them. James gives the illustration about the farmer who just, who just has to wait. He does his work. He plants the seed. He sows. He reaps. He does these things. He tends to it. He tries to keep the bugs away, the locusts away. He does what he can. But at the end of the day, the farmer then, as well as today, the, at the end of the day, the farmer is dependent on the rain that comes. The farmer is dependent on the crop growing up and just waiting. The farmer cannot rush that process. The farmer could, could, could be ready to harvest now, ready to eat now, and the farmer could pull up the carrot before it's time. He just might not like what he harvests, but it's up to him as to when, and all he has to do in that case is wait. The farmers had to wait for harvest time. They had to wait for the springtime to come. Does it start to seem... Like James is maybe not just talking to farmers. Like maybe he's, he's speaking to anybody dependent on any circumstances simply outside of their control. And maybe James is saying, listen, you don't get, you don't understand, you can't control these circumstances. You're in God's kitchen. Trust the chef. Let the heat do its work. There's two ways that I see this, this impacting us significantly, what I see in our community, just like all the time. The first one is in, in when it comes to relationships. I see people like all the time and rush it because I want it now and I'm not ready to wait. And so if I could just like give a, a caution on the front side of things, I want to say, listen, we have this image of our mind about how everybody is supposed to be happily married, very young, with little babies at home, and like do this whole thing. And that is not the picture that God gives us as he reveals himself to us in Jesus Christ. That's not the image that he gets. So like just set that off to the side completely. But many of us, we sense the, the burden of that picture and we, we want that for ourselves and we'll do anything to get it. Circumstances being in the place or not. And so many times it's like, listen, I trust the counsel of my friends. They're good people and speak wise words into my life. And, and, I, and I believe it when they tell me that somebody's good for me or not good for me. But this time they're all telling me, she's no good for you. You got to stay away. But yet, no, no, I know, I'm not ready to listen to them. I want it now. And I'm saying, you can pull that up. You just might not like the harvest that you pull in. I've always said that I was gonna wait for somebody who, who's as reliant on the grace of Jesus as I am myself. But I think I just met him and I think he's on the right journey, on the right path. And I, and I think like if we start dating now and if we get engaged now, listen, I think he's gonna come to that understanding and that trust. At the same time, we're gonna get married or at the same time, we're gonna start a family. And so like these whole things will, will merge eventually anyway. So maybe right now I'll just pull it up. I'll call in the harvest, circumstances or not. You can do that. You just might not like what you pull up. And so just to teach you a little formula to say, be very personable, personal on it. My way in my time often equals my regret. His way, his time often equates to his blessing. Relationships is the first one. Finances is the second one. You guys, my wife when, and I, when we got married, and I started in seminary, pastor training school, like we did not have high paying jobs. I worked at the mall at Woodland 
And she was uh, starting off her very first year as a Christian school teacher. And we were grateful for it, but it was not like eh, bills were getting paid easily. I mean, the arguments and the, the stress that would come along with that. Uh, not to mention at home, we had two vehicles. The first one was an early 90s two-door white Plymouth Sundance, which we affectionately called the bread box because <laughs> it wasn't much bigger. It had a headliner that would just like fall down in front of your eyes. So we had to just like staple it back up to the ceiling and then the staples would fall down. And that was like a whole different challenge, right? To find those things. And that was fine. That car was great, especially compared to the next vehicle that we had was a 10-speed bike <laughs> that we had to keep in the trunk of the first car just in case. <laughs> and just in case one time when I was heading to an internship in Canada, just in case was the reality and I had to finish the journey on the bike. But that's a story for another day. Think about what it did to us to pull into the parking lot of the high school, knowing that we had less disposable income and also the worst car in the lot, students included. Many of our friends were 10 years further. God, God, looking around, where, 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 when are we going to be able to do like the house thing? When are we going to have nice things? When are we going to be able to have a car that we don't have a just-in-case tag on the end of it? God, when? And listen to me. Visa would have been happy to make all of those dreams a reality and then some in that moment. And we could have called in the harvest we just might not have liked what we pulled up out of the ground. And I'm so glad we waited. James says these circumstances, when it's not lining up, this is entering God's kitchen. This is God asking you, do you trust the chef? Are you willing to let the heat do its work? Circumstances is almost like a, a low setting on the stovetop, once he cranks it to medium, once it gets a little more personal, that's harder. Verse eight, continuing on in the passage, you too, he says. He's like, he's talking to us. He's like, hey, Dirk, hey, Encounter Church, you too, be patient, stand firm, because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against one another, brothers or sisters, or you will be judged. The judge, capital letters are the judge, is standing at the door. Uh, circumstances is the first soil that we learn patience, the, the medium setting that we learn patience. This is with difficult people. It's tough. And I'm not talking like surface level difficult people. I'm not talking like like the checkout person at the grocery store who moves at a glacial pace so slow. Like, it's difficult, but like, you're gonna get past it. I'm not talking about difficult people that refuse, that refuse to adopt the zipper method of merging, even though Michigan Department of Transportation has said it's both safer and faster. <laughs> Lost some friends. 
when he's talking about difficult people, I get the sense he's talking about the people close to them, the one another's, the people in your lives that you can't escape away from, the people that you're going to go home with today that break your heart again and again, the difficult people that you're going to have to go to work with or work for tomorrow. The boss who just, just, just shouts, barks orders at you. Do this, don't do that, do it this way, without any concept of the whole, without ever wondering about the why, even knowing that, that, that should you do this thing, it's bad for the company, it's bad for them, but you have to do it anyway. And you're going like, like it doesn't make any sense. Just as would you listen to me? It's difficult people. And God is like, I'm putting you in the kitchen to learn and to grow This is the arena you learn to endure. Trust the chef. Let the heat do its work. But then it gets real personal because it's not just the stuff happening around you. It's not just the people who are close to you. The stove is turned up to high now and it gets real close to home. Listen to these last two verses. Brothers and sisters, Encounter Church. As an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Remember, these are good Jewish kids. They know who the prophets are. They know those stories. Verse 11, and as you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. It's one thing, circumstances. It's another thing, difficult people. But what about when God's kitchen, the antagonist, the soil that you're learning, patient endurance from is with God himself. God himself is the one who brings this on. God himself is the one that keeps us enduring and patient. God himself is the one that keeps us in the waiting. This is the story of God Imagine hearing this as those first listeners of James heard it. They were the good Jewish kids. They knew the story. They knew story after story of God asking his people to wait, to be patient, to endure again and again. They knew these stories of of, of God saying, Abraham, I'm going to make you into this great, amazing nation with all of these descendants, as many as the sand on the seashore and stars in the sky. Except you're 99 years old and all your friends are retiring into their little communities playing golf and you're entering the maternity ward with your wife, with one kid. God keeps them in the waiting. Moses, Moses, he does it. He he catches the vision. Moses grows up in Pharaoh's family in Egypt. He grows up like in the royal family as an Israelite. And he sees God's people, the Israelites, being oppressed. And he like catches the vision to say, we should do something about this. I I mean, that's, that's not how you want it, God. He catches that vision and says, well, if you're not going to, at 40 years old, he says, I'm going to do something about it. And he takes matters into his hands and he kills one of the Egyptians to save one of the Israelites. But then people hear about it and he has to bolt. He has to run away. And God keeps him in the kitchen, tending sheep in Midian, a half a world away for another 40 years. He comes back. Same vision, but doing it God's way at 80 years old. He now leads the people out 
in a 40-day journey to the promised land turns into another 40 years. You're doing the math on this thing. He's well north of 100. He doesn't get to go into the land. He sees it from the top of a mountain. He doesn't get to go in. Moses is in God's kitchen. Moses is asked to trust the chef. Let the heat do its work. And Job, James goes to Job. This guy who had it all, he's fantastically wealthy, but, but outside of that, an unshakable faith and a family that loved him and loved each other. In fact, we know that they loved each other so much because they, they were all together when the storm hit. And it was one thing when he got the knock that he lost his cattle. Another thing when he lost his sheep and his barns. It was another thing entirely when he got news that his whole family was in a house that crashed down. Job, it was a total loss. Job, you are in God's kitchen. And Job says, I trust the chef to let the heat do its work enough to, to turn back. And Job 19, when my friends say, listen, what did you do wrong? And my wife says, just curse God and die. Job says, no, no, no. Job 19, I know that my Redeemer lives and he will step foot on this earth. I know that my Redeemer lives. I trust the chef. This is, this is what it looks like, church. I met a, I met a girl uh, a little while ago, a young woman. Her name was Abby. I met her in uh, early 2018, and we started a conversation. I learned more about her story. I met her here at church. Her story involves her having two slipped discs or herniated discs in her back. Ex extremely, extremely painful. Her story includes a diagnosis of melanoma, skin cancer. Her story includes her mom experiencing a massive stroke and her dad having a heart attack. And get this, those discs I mentioned before, they herniate again. She needs, at 21 years old, needs to have spinal surgery to fix it. And then she's diagnosed again with a recurrence, a relapse of melanoma, that skin cancer I mentioned earlier. She spent so long in hospitals through these years that she loses these deep, close friendships because she has no time to continue investing into them. And yet she's, she's like writing this stuff in and she's going, she's like pouring out her story and saying like, this is all this stuff. And it's like, you can just hear the knocks one after another, a modern Job story. And she says, I know that right now I'm in the valley, but I also know, but I also know that he is the only one, that God is the only one that can pull me out of that valley and put me on dry ground again. In a sense, she says, I know that my Redeemer lives. She got baptized February 2018. I want you to look at the smile on her face and knowing part of her story of what God has taken her through. It's an incredible journey that God is bringing her on. She says, I hung on to these breadcrumbs along the way in acceptance into a, into a graduate medical school program to, to sign that said, God isn't done with me yet. And this is her earlier this year entering that school. 
I know that my Redeemer lives. He'll walk on this earth once again. Church, many of you are in God's kitchen. And I want to tell you, you can trust the chef and let the heat do its work. Would you stand up with me? Standing up, would you bow your heads and close your eyes? And I just want to ask right now, is any of you, are any of you in God's kitchen right now? Would you just raise your hand where you are with our eyes closed and our heads bowed? Thank you. Just put them up. Just put them up. I'm not going to ask you to do anything weird. I'm not going to ask you to come forward. We're not going to ask him. I just want to know because I'm going to pray for you this morning. All of you right now, I want to keep, keep your hands up. Amen. Yep, in the back. Thank you. You're in God's kitchen right now, and the heat is turned up. And I want you to know, church, you can trust the chef. He's got a plan. Your Redeemer lives. Gracious God, I pray for everybody with their hands up right now. God, I pray that you give them strength, that you give them patience, that you give them endurance. In your word in James, it said that if anybody, any one of us lacks this wisdom to see you at work, we should just ask. And so, God, now we're asking. We're asking for your patient endurance. We're asking for your will to be done in these lives. You can put your hands down. For everybody else, included with those with the hands up in the kitchen, if you're ready to, to make this declaration along with Abby, if that story of you is yours, maybe if you grew up in a Christian house but it never made that eight inches from your head to your heart until you got put in the kitchen and the heat was turned up, I want to invite you, this is your time to show the world you've been raised with Christ. Go to encounterchurch.org slash baptism. You can do it right now while we're praying. Do it today. But make this declaration to say, I know that my Redeemer lives. I know, Jesus, you will step foot on this earth once again. Jesus, it's in your name we pray these things.